I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. Thank you all for listening, and thanks especially to those of you who've taken a moment just to recommend the show to somebody you think might like it. I appreciate it, and with any luck, the recipient of your recommendation will as well. Uh, You can support the show and, uh, for your trouble, get a bunch of extra episodes by going to sleeverickets.substack.com and signing up for The Secret Show. You will get about three extra episodes every month, including the 12 that are already up there, uh, and you will help us keep doing the thing that we are doing. I have said on a few occasions that pronunciation doesn't matter, and as my dad pointed out, what I really mean when I say that is, uh, is something along the lines of you know misuse matters. Misuse is much more important than mispronunciation. And on that score, I have to apologize. I, I, have, I had a, a little twinge uh, the other week when I was editing and I, I heard myself use the word vociferous or, the, or vociferously. And I just had this faint suspicion that something was wrong. I, I used it intuitively. I used it uh, as I have heard it used, but without really thinking about what I was saying very much. And of course, on looking it up, found that I had totally misused it. Um, the, I, I referred to the possibility that you were vociferously shaking your head in disagreement with some things Brian and I were saying. And that is, of course, impossible because uh, vociferous, quite predictably, comes from the Latin for voice and for carry, vox and fur, and uh, has. Uh, and so you can disagree vociferously, you can protest vociferously, you can. Uh, I guess you could apologize vociferously, though the connotation feels wrong. But you certainly can't shake your head vociferously. And in fact, vociferously seems like one of those words that maybe doesn't really need to exist. It almost always it, it almost always seems to function the way I was using it, which is to make one's sentences sound a smidgen fancier. In any event, uh, my apologies. This week, I have the second half of that conversation I had with uh, Cameron. Uh, I posted the first half, all of which was about one poem uh, a couple of weeks ago. This half is about several poems, uh, and there, I think we had, I think we had a really good good conversation about them. None of them as we didn't discuss any of them quite as obsessively as we did the Alvin Feynman poem. But I think we we have we found a lot more to agree on in this bundle. Uh, thank you. I'm trying to think of what other fucking housekeeping I have. Oh, oh, I almost fucking forgot. We have a new merch. So if you go to the, the, I put a link in the show notes of every episode. If you go there or if you go to, uh, my website or sleeverickets.com, we'll take you to my website and there's a merch button in the upper right hand corner. Uh, go to, the T Public store, and you will find that we have new T-shirts. They're the same design, but they have a black instead of white uh, lettering and ink. We also have a bunch of new colors, and we have hoodies now. Uh, and for those of you who are uh, real elder millennial nerds, we have sweatshirts that lack hoods, which which I on occasion wear. 
anyway, they all look good and there may be some, maybe some other stuff coming soon. If you are a Secret Show subscriber, do let me know if you would like some stickers. We ran out of the blue and black. Those were the most popular thus far, but uh, it may be getting some more in and I would love to supply you with some. Oh yeah, I do. I did. I have a bunch of correspondence I want to talk about, but I'm going to do a separate episode for all of that. So here is the rest of my conversation with Cameron. Anyway, are we moving on to the next one? Yeah, oh, say we've covered before. we've covered one poem. <laughs> uh, the the Mercy and Hems seven. I know Mercy and Hymns, like among Jeffrey Hill skeptics, that tends to be the collection that, that most of them point to as saying like, oh, I like those. Yeah, annoyingly um, they do that. <laughs> I've not read it yet, that collection. Um, I've read a handful of them out of context. This one, uh, I- I was surprised. I thought you'd like this more than Pisca. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. However you pronounce that name, but yeah. Um, I, I found this one funny. And it had yeah. a, a brilliant moment about sniggering. Well, let's read. Let's read through this one because I okay. it was very dense, and I and I read it through, and maybe I was at the dog park or something because it just didn't land for me, and then I, I moved on. But yeah, let's let's read through the and so and it's it's a it looks like a, a Gaelic name. Is it Kjolred? Yes, it's probably from the court of Otha. Who is this? So, so oh, the oh, thing, oh, oh, the, yeah. Okay. So the thing with Merchant Hymns is that it's a it's an intermixing of the past, um, very ancient English past, when of like a small kingdom in England is of the Dark Ages. Oh, Mercia, right, right, Arthur. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mercia, course, yeah. yeah. And mixing that with Hill's childhood. And often they are sort of blent almost in like unseparably con connected together. And like, I think this is one of the funniest occasions when this happened. But I am just getting to the poem. And also, I mean, the Merchant Hymns are prose poems, or almost prose poems. I mean, Hill called them verse sets. And, like, they're my favorite prose poems ever because they do things that most prose poems don't do in that they have such glorious music. And I think I find most poems are... I find most poems are just occasions for the poet just to write prose. Mm -hmm. But yeah. these poems seem to be more than prose. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. This, is, this is more than prose, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I read it. Yeah, yeah, please. Gas holders, russet among fields, mill dams, marpools that lay under uh, unstirring, eel swarms, coagulations of frogs, once with branch and um, with branch and half bricks, he bat he battered a ditchful, then sidled away from the stillness and silence. Kyodred was his friend and remained so, even after the day of the lost fighter. A biplane, already obsolete and irreplaceable, two inches of heavy, snub silver. Kyodred let it spin through a hole in the, uh, let it spin through a hole in the classroom floorboards softly into the rack droppings and coins. After school, he lured Kildred, who was sniggering, who was sniggering, sniggering with fright, down to the old quarry, and flayed him. Then, leaving Kildred, he journeyed for hours, calm and alone, in his private derelict sand lorry named Albion. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is that is funnier than I remember the first time. <laughs> Sniggering with fright is nice. Uh and, 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 and you, fright. Right yeah, the, the, the it, knowing particularly that this is a blending of personal childhood recollection and and like the Mort Darthur or whatever, then he, mm. he took his school friend down to the quarries and flayed him. For for loose for frying his toy plane through um through the classroom floorboard. But he's like there's a beautiful moment when he says, um, already obsolete and irreplaceable, which I think is like ut so utterly the perfect yeah, yeah. phrase. Because you, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can attack like over. how to possessions become both simultaneously obsolete and therefore like you don't want to be unattached yeah, yeah. yeah right exactly and that moment and then sniggering with fear i think is like glorious because it's how it rearranges the ideas of sniggering into like terror and like yeah, I, yeah. That's but it's very familiar brilliant. from from like yeah, bo yeah. boyhood and like the, uh -huh. the the weird posturing of of little mm. boys playing at violence yeah. uh, and then and then flayed him <laughs> comes out of nowhere it's just brilliantly done like, yeah that's that a great punchline yeah, no, I'm glad I, I'm glad I went back to that one. Um, yeah, I'll I'll uh, and I mean, ah, boy, I I uh, is it, well, I mean, maybe it maybe just like it's a book that's meant to be read as a series because that just knowing that there is that play of the two sources makes this more fun to read. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, you should read them in sequence. But yeah. I, this is probably the most fun in terms of humor. There are other times sure. I find fun, but not in terms of humor, mainly in terms of, sort yeah, of yeah. linguistic invention and blending of histories. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, this, this one is really good. It also doesn't hurt, I have to say, to imagine a child version of the raging Jeffrey Hill I've heard <laughs> recordings of. <laughs> Like I imagine this, like this, this, this little lad in shorts with a white beard flaying his friend. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. Yeah. Let's hope. Um, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. So. So. Let's. 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 Let's cover a few more of these. Um, on the run. Yeah. Well. So. Uh, um. Maybe let's finish with Pisgah. Maybe this do okay. that last because I. I'm also. I don't. I, that's one where I don't totally know if I understand it. I have a few thoughts about it. I think I might understand it, but but mm -hmm. even without having a confident sense of its coherence, it moved me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, let's look at some of these. So there's Said Jones, A Spell to Banish Grief, and then Worldful by Shane McRae, and Toby Martinez, Silas Rivas, Black Dawn Song. Let's... We're, skipping, we're skipping the Hutchison entirely, right? Uh, the... October's Levan the the hutchinson, hutchinson. Am, yeah yeah, uh, yeah that, you, quickly what were your thoughts on that yeah 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 i mean and i i only read that through once that's a pretty long one um, it is a long one let me get i that. i mean i had a load of hutchinson's i could have included but i just included that because it did everything that I, like i i admire in hutchinson and like did it so well i think yeah, on like yeah. such a scale yeah um i mean i think section one is glorious Section two to five are very good. Section one is my favorite. I think. All right, I'll just read it aloud while I read it uh, to see if I can remember my thoughts about it. Because I do remember it, registering it, but uh, mm -hmm. so this is the first section of October's Levant by Ishian Hutchinson. Dusk, a pair of goats clamber up the hill, their soft cries suggesting a child where there is none. 
a living creature with a spirit in a cold cell, lying on newspaper soiled with the burdens of unknown men. Granite music in his ears. And though he must not hope, hope is there in the starved hole in his chest. Wrenching sunlight and memory. Shadows trawl the sand where he lies, half asleep to the surf. Gravelly like his grandfather's throat clearing at daybreak, before cycling down the fern path to the tuber ground. The child shifts to the grove of unripe sea pears no ant nest thrives in, and he must speak his presence. His blood weight to this land water scrapes away. Foam reaching for his back, now a log brown and dry, suggesting a boy where there is none. He stands unrevealed, the slate voice of return bobbing an urn in his gullet. Yeah, it, it's just a, like a great density of imagery that I, I know I could follow all of it and construct a scene in my head and get a whole sense of what's going on if I went through it, but it just seems like a lot of work and nothing in it seizes me with interest or, or excitement or an intrigue or, you know, it, it, I, like, I, I, I get that this is, I don't think there's anything in here that's insurmountable, but it's in its delivery on a first and now a second reading. I don't, there's no carrot there for me to lure me mm -hmm. back in. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I see. I understand that. I understand. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, but I also like, you know, with all of these poems that you sent, uh, there, there's, in, in no case did I say to myself, well, this is bullshit. Like, like in all cases, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, well, this is like, clearly there's some, there's something really valuable happening here. Mm -hmm. and this is worthwhile. Uh, and I, and it, whether it's my cup of tea or not, I get how it could be someone's cup of tea. The final one we talked about is probably the one that was most just opaque to me. Mm. Uh, the preambles right. one. Right. Um, yeah, all right. So let's um, look at... Rivers uh, um, or Jones? Let's look at Jones. Because I this one, I, I did have an immediate response to. And then it, it's funny, rereading it right before talking to you, my my understanding of it changed maybe a little bit but um mm -hmm. yeah so this is a spell to banish grief it was in the new yorker do you want to read it or do you want me to sure. no i can read it All right. a spell to banish grief only when you wake to a fistful of pulled hair on the floorboards beside your bed and from a glance can guess its weight when you studied dried tear streaks on your cheeks like a farmer figuring out where the season went wrong when a friend calls out your name three or four times before you know your name, before you know your name is yours. When your name sits like clothes you've suddenly outgrown. When there is too much of you, too few of you, too you of you. The mirrors wish all of you would just look away. When the clocks can't feel their hands and the calendars begin to doubt themselves when you begin to agree with the glares from mirrors but your reflection follows you around the house anyway when you catch yourself drunk on memory candles lit eyes closed your head tilted in the direction of the cemetery grass yellow and balding above what's left of the body that birthed you and you try to remember the sound of laughter in her throat 
and fail, only then, orphan, will I take all myself and leave. And leave, it's, a, a, it's a, a poem of long lines, and, and leave is the last line. It's just mm -hmm. those two words. Yeah, just the two syllables. And apparently it says a, this is drawn from Alive at the End of the World, so I don't know if that means that's a collection or if that's a long poem this is taken I, from. It's, I looked it up and it was a collection, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm All pretty right. sure it was a collection. It's his second collection. Okay. I, so I'd never heard of him either before this poem, mm -hmm. and I went off and read some. And... I mean, it was rare. It's rare for me to find a poet who, once I like a poem, go off and read other poems that also like them. But I liked enough of the other poems I read to sort of pique my interest in him. Hmm. And I liked some of the poems I read even more than this one. Yeah. Which was nice. It was a very rare opportunity, like a rare thing for me. Yeah. I, 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 I don't love this one. I think it's probably my least favorite of all the ones I sent you. I like when it starts when I really like to you of you because like the you so I was scanning through the poems in the New Yorker the New Yorker's poetry section and they have like they like to put little sort of a few lines from the poem next to the poem's title and right, I'm not even yeah. sure they're the best lines of the poem yeah the most quotes, of them are very yeah. good and like I do I just skip most of them yeah. <laughs> just right. use the lines and explanations like go nope and like this and they put for this one to the two you of you uh, yeah. riff and I like that enough to read it. And I think the poem does leap up in quality with the two you review. I, because I'm not saying it's cliched, but like at the beginning, a lot of the things it talks about are very typical symbols of grief. Yeah. And then it hits that two you review, and it seems both surprising and shocking and also very truthful. And then it does the sort of symbolist personification for mirrors, which I think is yeah. quite nice, but also speaks to something real in sort of the grieving psyche. And yeah. then it, it, the best bit is that final line, which pays off this sort of, because the poem is just one long sentence and yeah. that is a very fashionable thing to do. The best bit is this sort of final payoff to the sentence, which mm -hmm. is we're suddenly real. We're suddenly reminded that this is spoken not by the grieving person, but by the, by death or at least some, some or, or malignant element. Yeah, yeah. or grief, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The whole, the whole poem is a list of conditions mm. that must be fulfilled mm -hmm. before before you know the speaker will will finally leave the yeah. the, the orphan. I take all myself and leave. Yeah, yeah, and that that um, maybe just because it's this poem of grief uh, that is that is a grief in the extreme that there's there's very little you know there are there are different ways to write elegies and this is not one that is muted or like this is one that is given pretty like a pretty full-throated expression and so hmm. partly because of that and then partly because i think the you're right with the the mirrors wish all of you would just look away when the clocks can't feel their hands and the calendars begin to doubt themselves uh that that i think that little segment with its personification of these inanimate objects but they're also inanimate objects that have a a direct connection to grief, even, you know, whether it's, it's not, you know, uh, uh, mirrors have a lot of different traditional relationship to the afterlife, yeah, yeah. but, but also just in the Jewish tradition, you, you know, and in, in some others, you cover mirrors typically in a, oh, in a yeah, yeah. period of grief. Um, oh, but I, I that, that, that took me to yeah. Auden's funeral blues by way of when I, uh, when I walked out one evening, is that what it's called? When I walked out one evening, when I went out when one evening, 
as I, as I walked out one evening, because um, okay. it, it has the line about the clocks and that. That, but yeah, like it 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 called yeah. that to mind for me. It's funny, two. It's interesting to you of you as what that was definitely my least favorite spot in the poem. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like I just I think it's just a matter it's of exciting. like the the flavor of it struck me in the wrong way in the way that like some people like cilantro and some don't. And that was the one I thought like, oh, that's a disappointing spot. But other than that, there were some like he was doing okay. So um, let's but, dig into the So why, what, what was disappointing about to you? Like, can you feels, expand on the flavor? Yeah, it feels to me, my my response, and this may not be at all fair, but the, the, feel, the taste it gave me in my mouth when I tasted it was that it's vulgar. And I mean that in a particular way. I don't mean that it's like mm. crass or that it's no. profane. I mean that it's, there was a thing that Ryan said years ago that, that stuck in my memory. Would he, it, it, was, it was a girl he was dating at the time and she, she had some expression she used in conversation and it was not, it was not you go girl, <laughs> but it was something with that same, uh, uh, color to it uh -huh. and and he, I remember he said oh when she says that it, I can hear I can hear the crowd speaking in her mouth like I can hear someone else is speaking it's yeah. not her and I think that's what I feel when I hear something that strikes me as vulgar and it seems to me a a line of the, like even if I've not never heard anyone say that particular phrase to you of you it's a move that I that feels very of this moment there are certain yeah like ooh, there's certain moves yeah. that feel very much like ooh, this like it it isn't dated but it will feel dated soon yeah no i can i can see that i can see i can also see this as a very annoying slogan that would piss me off a very annoying slogan it. yeah i can like i can hear i can see how to you and you, to oh, you, yeah, you yeah. can become could easily become a very annoying slogan i liked in the poem because it struck me as a slate a slightly different chord and a slightly more linguistically exciting chord. So mm. I liked it in this occurrence, but I can right. see how it, in other occurrences it could easily become yeah. something quite bad. So. Yeah, but you're right that there's the the poem is much more literal and plain spoken until it was really when there is too much of you, too few of you. It would be I would mark that as like the first moment when the poem begins to consider language and meaning in a slightly different way than it has mm -hmm. previously. And then to you of you is the more overt move in that direction. But for, you know, whether it's, whether or not, you know, who knows how, what, how this poem was written, but from it's after that, that I, I agree, the poem becomes a more interesting kind of litany of grief than it was before. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not in that same direction, that does seem to be something of a hinge in the poem where, where what happens after that is a little bit less familiar and a little bit more than literal. Mm -hmm. uh, even when just like when your reflection follows you around the house anyway, um, when you catch yourself drunk on memory, candles lit, eyes closed, your head tilted in the direction of cemetery, grass yellow and balding above what's left of the... So yeah, like there, there's just a blending of literal with figurative and there's the poem seems to have more more fluidity mm. to it. That yeah, I was going to say the body that burst you. That's a good move. The body that burst you. That's dehumanizing the body. The body. I mean, oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good because that gives you like the full sense of like the decaying inhumanity of fully realizing what sort of your loved ones have become. 
I think. But all, yeah, that I mean, is but, a good movie. No, no, yeah, that's. I think that that's 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 both poignant in its horror and it is enacting the process or the 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 result of this process that grief seems to be demanding, which is that like only when like you have been completely wrung out mm-hmm. and you're just like a a bag of sticks you know, like everything around you is sort of like the inanimate objects in your house have more life in them than you do only then is this yeah. going to be over and it, i mean I like- in that in that and i do love the only then orphan will i take all myself and leave that I, I think i love that it's will i take all myselves Mm, yeah, but it's yeah. not. It's not. I think it would be a far weaker ending if it were singular. Will I? Yeah. Will I leave? Only then, orphan, will I leave? Would be will a much. Yeah. And it, but yeah. it, it reminds me both because of this grueling, consuming process, and because of that plurality of of selves. It does remind me a lot of that Freud essay on um, grief. That that like part mm-hmm. of the process of grief is is like piece by piece re like going back through every single memory and association and like marking it with this person's death right every single moment you've ever connected with that person has to be like re has to be like edited and like you you're not done grieving until you've done every single one of those Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and this this just has the same sort of listing listing effect as that mm mm-hmm so, did, so a, qu- a question I had after mm-hmm. rereading it, because I also think it's a uh, it's a good it's a really good title, but but the title seems having read the poem, the title makes less sense. Yeah, a spell. Unless yeah, it's like, sort of an ironic title, like the spell to banish grief is the way to be done with grief is you have to go through the whole process of grieving. <laughs> like, I, I would like, like I'd like that I'd I'd like an ironic title. I think that would give it yeah. more of a ferocious bite. And the title seems to me to go uh, or to the voice because you we reach the end and you realize the voice is quite harsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the voice of the grief itself. Yeah. And I don't see the grief being very interesting wanting to banish itself anyway. Like it's talking about this long process. Yeah. So I don't see how the spell interacts there. I don't see how the spell in exists on a literal level because the poem is a dramatic monologue by the grief itself it's yeah. not a sort of enchanted series of words to aimed at the no, grief. No. i could see it being maybe a almost like the title is a request and yeah. the poem is the is the formal response to that request <laughs> like i yeah. i would like a spell to banish grief please like your request <laughs> your request has been received and denied <laughs> only when these conditions have been fulfilled will will your yeah, cre- yeah. Re- request be granted uh but yeah i i, li- I like that one um mm. and it it just felt very um it felt much more uh straightforward than most of the poems that that you seem to yeah. like i think I send you yeah. An easy one. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and it was your least favorite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very, very good uh <laughs> let's look at um well, here let's look at a harder one, uh, the 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 Martinez one. Oh yeah. I did. This was one where I think the balance was such that still this was this was not a favorite, but the unlike the the Hutchinson, it um, the the balance of the density of description was such that like there were enough things in it that caught my interest that I felt moved to go back and 
construct the somewhat complex landscape he's describing in order to kind of understand the motion of the poem. So this is one, I think, because one of the things I'd accused him of was, was not having a sense of humor. And there's not much sense of humor in this poem, but I think the the speaker is rendered sort of ridiculous in a way that feels like it it has an awareness of irony. It has an awareness yeah. of humanity in a way that made me like it made my heart go out to the speaker more. Yeah, like when he talks about being peeved, I think peeved is a great literal word choice there. Because yeah. Of and then and just sort of the 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 impotence and there's there's even like the Ooh. the 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 kind of the turn of the poem it has the motion of I had a, a teacher in high school who used to tell a lot of Taoist uh, parables and stories and they often have this kind of motion where like you follow almost like a a shaggy dog story and then suddenly like there's some physical like pratfall that results in the main character achieving enlightenment. <laughs> um, actually, no, that was that was not a Tao story. That was a Zen story. Um, uh, uh, but it, it has a little bit of that feeling to it. Would you read it? Mm -hmm. Sure. This is Black Down Song by Toby Martinez Dallas Rivas. In front of the gate whose tubes hummed in the wind like owls hooing each other across a dark field, Isabel was the fire pit's tract of soot-soft and snow-white ashes. It went deeper than you knew after years of bonfires, dusks when sightly wings of paper flared in a whoosh of sparks and ghosted into darkness like minor stars. Beyond the singing gate lay the dark field which ate the bodies of lambs and threw up the bleached fans of pigeon wings. The grass grew, grew red in those places. I dug the pit with a shovel and scooped bucket loads to feed my father's garden, which drew down silver mouthfuls of ash and the tangled, and the tangled brown potato palms. All the while, the gate hummed tunelessly in the wind, tunelessly but with range, high and low, long and short, disconnected, artless, dumb life, struggling into song. I struck so reckless, Isabel, hot, one-handed, peeved, and clanged a rock that hung in earth as consciousness is said to inhere in the self, the self to hanging the body. High, low, long, short, my arms went dead. A dazed bird burst from my skull. The rock, the rock humped, deaf to the blow. A brilliant ringing in the blade secured itself to that axis. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a, a notable, physical like just as a physical scene thing you know there, mm. there's this field there's there's the the gate with these hollow you know tube like uh bars that it's constructed of and they whistle or hum in the wind that blows over them this guy's digging in the fire pit it's a very old fire pit it's so old that it's just layers upon layers upon layers of ash he's digging in it in order to 
transfer the ash to the garden to fertilize it, I guess? Do you, does ash fertilize a garden? I couldn't figure out. Is there, I would, like, yeah, this is the point where I grew slightly confused. Like, I don't, it I seems don't like totally ash would not. What he's digging for. Was, is there some... Because you would think so ash right. would have like no nutritional value, but it, mm. like, is there some there's something in it that's good for some kind of vegetable or something? But he's digging ash for the garden, and he's for some reason he's he's angry or he's 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 uh, um, he's hot one handed peeved. He's frustrated with something. It seems like whether it's the garden or the or the ash pit or something unrelated, but in the in the process of it, he. In digging through all this this soft ash, he the shovel clangs on a rock, and it's hard enough that you kind of feel that buzz up through his hand in a way that's mm. familiar to anybody who's done that with a shovel, and and like the the ringing in the shovel and in his arm, and uh, you know seems to kind of match the ringing in the gate that's whistling in the wind. Uh, my arms went dead. You know, there's a um, which which is like there is that like funny bone feeling when you get really mm -hmm. rattled yeah. uh it's like when you hit a baseball wrong with you know where you're not where you're holding the bat too loosely or something a dazed bird burst from my skull which has a kind does does have kind of like a comical version of a james wright poem there you know like you, mm -hmm. you have that epiphanic moment that's in in nature but it's it's sort of like weird and humiliating here instead of being uh picturesque the rock. Yeah, I, I mean, like. That, that, I love that it's the rock humped, deaf to the blow. Like the rock doesn't give a shit. The rock feels nothing. Uh, a brilliant ringing in the blade secured itself to that axis. I mean, it's it's funny. It's like it's it is a it's a poem of beautiful a beautiful epiphany that's like rigorously that rigorously refuses uh, uh, sentiment. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like epiphany and anti-epiphany almost. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's like, like one zone. You could epic. see if Robert Haas wrote this same scene, it would have a very different feeling at the end. <laughs> um, and if uh, oh. Robert Bly wrote it, then uh, then the the speaker would ascend to heaven at the end and, and meditate on a cloud. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it is it's it's structured like that. With that, it has that epiphanic structure, but then he's so. You can feel him clenching his teeth against that mm. sentimentality. So, like, I, I I enjoy it, and I I felt like I got it in a way that I didn't get a lot of his other poems I tried to read, and it was, you know, it like it, it I felt like it was written for me to read it, you know, like for a human mm -hmm. person to read it who's not him. Uh, did you find it had like a, Did you find it has the qualities of the human voice that you like in poems? It did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's it is it's dense. You know, it, I'll say digging through uh, Toby Martinez Los Rivas poem is not like digging through soft ash. It's like digging through gravel. But but it is like I yeah. This felt much more inviting. And I think also like along with the the slight ridiculousness of the of the the dad the son and grandson and and father digging in the ash i think like just mentioning like inserting his daughter's name or actually i don't know if it's i'm assuming it's his daughter i don't know if it is but he but he's he um you know this woman or girl he's talking to throughout i think just makes it i don't i don't know whether it's that or what he did in response to that but it feels more as if it is tuned to a human ear mm. um I, he, he's, he has that weird he has he has weird taste in titles where he want like he, like a lot of his poems have that are called songs or had that even like black down song I, that, that's where i feel like take off the cape toby and just like give us a you know just 
easy. Just go easy. It's okay. We're listening. Um, that feels too much to I me. But... You, you, you don't like the song. The song is the thing that... Well, like so, that. I mean, also, I mean, first, like, do you know what Blackdown is? I don't know what Blackdown is. What? what... That is true. I, yeah. And, I'm and taking song, Blackdown I mean... is the color of the ashes in the... Sure, I guess. I guess. Like, this doesn't feel especially like song. It also like I, I know I've seen that song move, and or like like you'll use other other words for songs that are not the word song, and I, it just feels like uh, I don't know who that title is for. The title is not written in the same voice as the rest of the poem. I would say mm, um, no, but I don't, I don't know, Matthew. I quite like. I think there is something song like in this poem. I, there's something. It's lighter than most of Martina's poems are in terms of sonics and phrasing. And I, I don't, I think there's something, I think placed next to sort of the bigger prose paragraphs that make up a lot of terror, which is his first collection yeah, yeah, yeah. this poem comes from. This has something song-like. I kind of think of like, I don't know, I think of like the, the songs in The Tempest or something, but this seems a more lighter piece of verse compared to the bigger sort of the bigger beasts around it so i think in comparison i do think i kind of do understand or at least maybe comprehend something of the way in which he intends song here what's the name of the guy in the t is it ferdinand who's the the prince who uh yeah, prosper orders around oh it the prince i think it's I haven't read the it's, an, it's an F name. Who who ends up marrying yeah, I think Miranda it's, it's at the end? It's definitely Ferdinand. If it's an yeah, F, yeah, yeah. it's definitely Ferdinand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a little bit of that feel because there is a mm. like, I, there are those scenes where, where Prosper is just making him do dumb physical work for no reason, mm. just to like put him in his place. And it I have a little. There is a little little bit of that feel, but I think to me, the music in this poem is the music that's all around him that he's out of touch with. Like, like it reminds mm -hmm. me of that, the, 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 the also very, the actually, I would say actually very song, like the world is too much with us, where he says, um, for this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not like the, the, the feeling I have is that like, there is, there's a whole order and a harmony around him and he's clanging up against it. And the, and the sort mm -hmm. of the turn of the poem is he sort of, he's like humbled and reminded of this this out of touchness and forced to confront it. And maybe that's a moment when he's brought into a little bit of harmony, but it doesn't mm -hmm. feel to me, it feels the, 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 the poem itself does not feel all that song like, but yeah. let's Larry, let's keep moving. Cause otherwise we, we will go on for a million hours. <laughs> um, so let's do world full and then uh, Pisga. Okay. Do you want, can you read well full? I, sure. I, I think it's too long and I'll mess up. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. This is uh, world full by Shane McRae. And this is, uh, I mentioned in, I think the last episode that Shane's got a new book called Cain Named the Animal that this poem comes from. And this was one that, uh, Cameron, you sent it to me independently, but I had also marked this as one of the, one of the poems in the book I liked in particular. Mm. Worldful. In down some part of me I hadn't noticed before, in down, but not dark, bright. Today I saw a nothingness, outlined in white, shaped like a kidney-shaped swimming pool floating above a landscape like a California postcard, all pastel, blues, and tans, and green, with unimaginable life, or life that would have to be reduced to be imagined. And seeing it, I knew it was the nothingness, an image of me feeling I was still dependent on my grandparents, a feeling like 
At any moment, I could just call them and ask for help with food, with rent. My grandmother is dead and has been dead for 14 years. Calculating the number just now, I thought it might have been two years. I thought it might have been, even though I knew it couldn't be, I thought world full gone twice of sun and night since my grandmother left the sun and the night for the unmeasured world. It might have been two, and I haven't spoken to my grandfather for 28 years, and I don't know, but I think he might be dead too, or alive in Arizona yesterday. I saw him on the eye, uptown from 34th Street. He was sitting across from someone I had never seen before, and she was saying something serious to him. And he was trying to keep up, and he couldn't. His face was a wrinkled gray suit hanging from his face, and he was wearing a gray suit. He kept glancing at the briefcase at his feet, then looking up at the woman like a dog, afraid it will be beaten. He who always hit me harder than I could have hit him back, if I had thought I could have hit him back, and lived. I wanted to rise from my seat and throw my arms around him, and to not remember why I want to never speak to him again. I wanted to, and then remembered why I want to never touch him or be touched by him again. Instead, I watched him and the woman, her face softening as he began and whisperingly failed to, and began again to answer a question I hadn't heard, but what life does not have to be reduced to be imagined. And I don't know how this comes through in the braille but it is so it's broken it's broken into quatrains and it is um as as a lot of shane's poems end up being it is there is rhyme but often it is a a very slant rhyme or to rhyme as in the the like the stanza it might have been two it might have been two and i haven't spo line break ken to my grandfather for 28 line break years and i don't know but i think he might Line break, be dead to or alive in era, Zoe, stanza break, nah. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, there's a, there's a harsh enjambment. And then there also, the lines are often broken up by, by white spaces within the line. And those white spaces sometimes correspond to phrases, you know, phrase breaks or sentence breaks. But sometimes they they work very much against what would be normal sentence breaks. So like as in that line or alive in Arizona yesterday, there's a there's a gap before I saw him on the eye. And of course that yesterday, I believe, belongs to seeing him on the eye rather than Arizona. So it's it's written in a way that that makes it and there's no punctuation. No. There's no punctuation. So it's written in a way that that makes it very difficult to tell immediately, you know, at what moments we're shifting from one association or memory to another. So it's all, it all, it's kind of bleeds the, the experience of reading. It bleeds the way the experience of, uh, the speaker seems to, um, but yeah, I have, I have, I have a number of thoughts, but I'd be interested in hearing uh, what you have to say about, and this is one that, um, remind me at the end, we should reread this again, just so people can get it in their head again. Uh, but yeah, what, tell, tell yeah. me your thoughts. I think this is one of Shane's best poems. Hmm. I think ooh, every feature of it is working in its advantage. I think it's incre- I think it's an incredibly impressive poem. I think I I mean there I could have been quite a few poems I chose by Shane. I think the beginning of it actually 
got me because it kind of remind it made me think that of all the poems I've read by Shane, this would be the closest one to a poem I might write hmm. in sort of the beginning. And that suddenly weird visionary image, which then takes a brilliantly unexpected, unexpected but somehow beautifully appropriate turn from the sort of image of this kidney-shaped swimming pool expanse of nothingness to the nothing the narrator feels and possibly does not feel for his grandparents. And that, I think, is like such an unexpected and yet brilliant and skillful turn in the poem. And this opening, which is so bizarre and weird, and I, it feels slightly more Baroque than like a typical Shane poem, I think, because it's of... Um, let me get to a bit I was thinking of. Well, I mean, the opening phrasing almost reminds me of Martinez de las Rivas in Down Some Part of Me. I hadn't noticed before in before in down, but not dark, bright. Today I saw a nothingness outlined in white, shaped like a kidney-shaped swimming pool. I mean, immediately I love the sort of strange in down some part of me. I love how he's turning his body into sort of geographical map. And then I love also the repetition of shape. I love shaped like a kidney-shaped swimming pool. That's both somehow unnecessary and gloriously weird. And like it really yeah, does shape, really... shaped like a kidney, shaped in a swimming pool. Yeah, 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 like yeah. That, that shaped is... like a kidney would be the the most efficient way of saying that. Yeah, but but, but this yeah. is a so much better and stranger way of saying that. And, if, and it feels truer to association because mm. it's not like we go around seeing kidneys all that often. No, <laughs> we no. do. Yeah, yeah. That that's funny. I think again, I had a slightly opposite response to just that within that little section. Um, today I saw a nothingness outlined in white. I mean, that that I love as an opening. In Down, some part of me I hadn't noticed before in Down, but not dark, bright. That, to my ear, I hear there, not Martinez de las Rivas, which I, I just haven't read him enough to maybe have a strong... Do you not hear a, a black sun rising in the east of me? Or is it in the west? Oh, of in me? the... Um, yeah. you know, oh, you know what? I heard that. I heard that Martinez line differently than you. Because really? I heard when he said "in the east of me," I read that as "to my east," but you're you read it as being an internal landscape. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, I yeah, that's mm, interesting. Yeah, so that I, would which, I, I, mean, I it want may, it to be an internal landscape. Yeah, it, maybe, well, it maybe may, you're it right, may well no, the, yeah, it may well be both. But to me, when I hear "in down some part of me," in particular that phrase, I hear, and I can actually pull up the specific poem if I think of it. Anyone lived in a pretty how town with up so floating many bells down. That's what I hear. Oh, okay. You hear um, Cummings. Okay. The E.E. E. Cummings, which is a poem I, uh, in high school, loved not wisely but too well. <laughs> and so I think like I have, I have a negative response to that sound just mostly out of uh, embarrassment at my own teenage self. So like mm -hmm. that's the part that I like. I, I was less drawn in, and then and then today I saw nothingness outlined in white. I think that was a that's where the poem really leapt into place for me. But it is, I mean, I, I, I am equally... I mean, today I, I saw nothingness outlined in white. Is like, well, they, today I saw, wait, today I saw nothingness. Oh, yeah. And then, and then there's a white space moments, like, outlined like, in white. One of the moments where like, the pentameter, like the ions and the phrasing come together. Like, you have these enchained poems where you yeah. have sort of a series of, sort of slightly broken syntaxes. And then like from the, the mass comes this sort of beautifully, perfectly iambic line, and which totally conforms with the syntax syntax which yeah. is normally why they're like the, the, 
the climax of the poem and like this part I think this is like one example of how the the different the pressures of the poem work against each other but also work with each other to sort of force out one of these sort of almost perfect lines once in a while yeah and, and I mean I think that's part of what makes Shane's work more more both like approachable and more poignant than than the work of some other also challenging poets that he admires or that you admire as well mm -hmm. i think is that is that he the the whirlwind of the poems of, you know they they break from moment to moment and you get those clear breaths or you get those stunning moments of impact and i mm -hmm. think I think in some of the other poems that, that he's pointed me to or that you've pointed me to, I see the kinship, but there's a kind of a relentless quality that makes them exhausting and not, and, and they don't, um, they don't, like the, the feeling I have sometimes is uh, listening to like a, a certain kind of pop song or a certain kind of rap song, you feel like, what's the hook where's the, i want i want to get to the hook i want to like <laughs> let's get uh, let's just like give, give me a minute to can i dance can you know and i feel like <laughs> shane's shane's poems sometimes can be can be a tall order but then they do mm -hmm. let you they like they deliver that hook or they deliver that line you know that punchline that you need so yeah I, I i mean that way i find him to be a sometimes very intense but still ultimately a generous host as a poet. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, th there is something really odd about this opening, which is really like a truly visionary, almost like Vatic moment mm. of like, I like, let me tell you this, like, even if we understand like, okay, well, let's just literally say, I saw, you know, a kidney shaped, a, a nothingness outlined in white, shaped like a kidney shaped swimming pool floating above a landscape, like a California postcard, all pastel, blues and tans and green. That That's all, quite clearly described but also what the fuck is that what <laughs> and and like i don't know and then i also don't know what with unimaginable life or life that would have to be reduced to be imagined i mean i i, I understand all of the words he's saying and i even understand how they're put together but i don't know where it's delivering me to but then rather than just leaving me hanging and giving me more things that i don't understand he shows me where it delivered him to and we have this quite moving scene of like this this old man that he sees uh you know he, he's reminded of his grandparents if you know anything about shane's biography it is a to say he has a you know a difficult relationship with his grandparents would be a a, a profound understatement even just what we get yeah. from this poem mm -hmm. uh is more than enough to, to know uh that but there's a there's a great affection and longing for these people at whose hands he suffered greatly and then mm -hmm. And then I think also like if he had done, if it had been a poem of all vision, then I would have felt maybe a little bit like I felt in the Feynman poem. And, and then if it had been a poem of uh, all like haunting emotional longing, then it might've been a moving poem, but I think it wouldn't have had a, it wouldn't have felt grounded and it wouldn't have delivered a strong a an effect as it does which you know and which is why then i think it, it's i'm really glad that he gives us the specific scene on the yeah. on the train and we see this old guy and and we we're told that it's not his grandfather but also it it felt like his grandfather and he he has almost like a nietzschean moment of like wanting to throw his arms around the horse in the turin square and then 
being recalled and you know back to all of the the very real and legitimate reasons that he he could well you know hate and fear these grandparents but uh but then he's still you know that that feeling of kinship and that feeling of care is not erased um and then he does a thing that he's done elsewhere which is he 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 always knows how to just like put a killer ending on a poem even in his weaker poems i think he's like he's really good at just sending him off into the world with just like a dagger in the last line Mm. um and he brings us back to that opening that kind of swirling like riveting but also totally opaque and mysterious beginning with the callback but what life does not have to be reduced to be imagined which i still don't really know what it means but it feels so satisfying you know having been prepared for us earlier yeah. on and i was i was talking about the um the ocean long fake deep questions and like yeah. that question is a perfect example of a not fake deep question of an actually no. incredibly well put together and well grounded question that's build from the elements within the poem to make something extraordinary right yeah and and i mean which also then it having given us an extremely complex depiction of this character in a you know in a relatively spare two-page poem we're then left with this question that like oh but even that is like a little icon it's like a little Mm. a gesture like that even even just to have a, a memory or to have an impulse we, you know like there, there's always this reduction there's always this just this uh that that whatever was there was was bigger and richer and more complex in reality i'm reminded of the the um the uh c.s lewis line reality is always iconoclastic um i want quickly to draw the attention just to two quick moments first um this is an incredible it isn't a i think this is just a beautiful piece of description I, it's, it complies with sort of typical Shane mannerisms but mm-hmm. does it so beautifully well when he says his face was a wrinkled a wrinkled grey suit hanging from his face I, that is brilliant I mean his face is a wrinkled grey suit hanging from his face the repetition of face there uh, sandwiching between the information is in, both incredibly weird and incredibly Shane like and incredibly good yeah. and then on a slightly better, bigger scale, we have near the end. Let me get to it. Um, he says, "Up at the upper." Um, I'm just trying to get to the beginning of the clause. Glancing at the briefcase at his feet, then looking up at the woman, like a dog afraid it will be beaten. He who always hit me harder than I could hit him back. If I had fought, I could have hit him back and lived and yeah, that's that's, that's a brilliant terrific. use of yeah. yeah that's a brilliant piece of that's a brilliant piece of repetition and it's a brilliant piece of repetition and enjambment putting, and, and li- yeah the, li- the line like it's that. a stanza break between mm. between could i could have hit him back if i thought i could have hit him back and then a line break after that before and lived which is just mm. just absolutely yeah. deadly um mm. yeah that's that that's the it's ferociously good that little turn is that like double turn there is mm. the is just the 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 that's the the bullet in the gut in this poem um yeah i'm, yeah. I'm pretty convinced this poem's a masterpiece you know it's like yeah it's yeah it's, it's a no i mean I, I i this was definitely one of the 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 five or six i i, I loved best in the book um 
maybe we i don't want us to go more like way more than three hours <laughs> we're coming up on three in a minute um but uh i, I haven't even had my rant about minor polish yet yeah well yeah well so no i, I mean yeah but uh at some point i'd be interested in it's funny because the there's a one of the other poems in that book that i liked a lot i suspect may have been one of your least favorites which is the the eurydice one but that's also one that's very that's written in like a very simple, almost pure lyric style. And it's also mm. one in which the form is much more uh, uh, regular than, than one often finds in his poems. Uh -huh. um, um, I, didn't, I didn't dislike it. It was the one I felt, it was probably one of the ones that I felt the most bland about. You're, yeah. right, you're right there. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about Pisgah before we right. um, both turn into pumpkins of different uh, of different continental uh, subtypes. Um, so Pisgah is, it, I mean, part of the reason I think I probably immediately was interested in this poem is that it's a word that has a very strong meaning for me personally, which almost certainly has nothing to do with why it's the title of this poem. Because the uh, the Pisgah National Forest is a big forest that is uh, in the state of North Carolina, and it's where I spent long sections of my boyhood going to camp in the summers, um, uh, and it's a you know, beautiful area. But P Pisgah, I think the the older origin of it is, I believe Mount Pisgah is the mountain that God directs Moses to climb so that he can see the holy land or the, the, the promised land, but he's not allowed to enter it. I think that's the mountain he climbs. For yes. That. Yes, exactly. Um, but and then does it look, have, does it have, cause I know there are a bunch of like places in the world that have that name. Is there another meaning for, for Hill do you think, or is that it, the one he's thinking? That's of? probably it. When you look it up, it has three meanings that are pretty intertwined, which is okay. the first meaning is like getting near, but not quite reaching the objective in which right. your objective is too far away for you to grasp. The second one is witnessing a miracle, but not being involved in the miracle. Mm. And then that is directly related to God showing Moses. Right. Um, a vision on Pisgah. Okay. So, I mean, knowing Hill, the biblical reference is key to the poem, key to the title, I think. Sure. So okay. to have those three meanings in mind. I mean, I, I read this poem. I I rarely look up words I don't know. I read, I've read this poem for six months, I reckon, and I only today looked up what Pisgah actually meant. <laughs> 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 but, I, I liked it enough to not care that i was missing out on some of the meaning but, well and, yeah. and and this is this is a poem where like the there's actually a charm in some cases too like the the title the poem is fully effective on its own without feeling like you you need the title so like the title could almost just be like any proper noun that you just yeah. take as the title of this particular little little like gentle extremely plain spoken very, I mean, part of partly I moved because it is for Jeffrey Hill. It's it's extremely naked. Yes. So yes, yeah, yes. would would you read this one for us? Sure. Okay. Pisgah by Jeffrey Hill. I am ashamed and grieved, having seen you then those many times, as now you turn to speak with with someone standing deeper in the shade, or fork a row or pace to the top end where the steep garden overlooks the house. Around you, the cane logres, tent poles, trellises, the flitter of sweet peas caught in their strings, the scarlet runners, blossom that seem to burn, 
and an incandescent aura towards evening. This half-puzzled, awkward surprise is yours. You cannot hear me, or quite make me out. Formalities preserve us. Perhaps I too am a shade. I, th I cheated a little bit when I heard him read it out, because he read it out in a, a reading on YouTube and said, this is for my father. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's that, okay, that's, that's funny, because I, um, I was definitely taken back to a scene from antiquity, but it was a different one. That was not or not not uh, Judeo Christian, but um, and just to clarify, I think, and I, I wasn't sure if I heard, but because I think that it is a meaningful difference. The first line is, "I am ashamed and grieve." So it, yes, did I, th did I know yeah, that they grieve? No, I think I just wasn't sure if it sounded. I couldn't tell if you were adding a D to it or not. But oh it's, no, it's I, the, yeah, it's the I verb. Think, I grieve. Yeah, it's the yeah. verb grieve. Yeah, which I is much think stronger. I, did. I think. I think. One didn't want to, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm um, ashamed and grieve. Grieve, which is yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the the scene that came to mind for me was Aeneas seeing Dido in the underworld, and she's he sees her, and she in that case she does see him, but she turns away, and he sort of. She, she, I think she's like with a bunch of other women and, and like he, he's able to see her, but not like with, with his father, as with Odysseus and his mother, he like throws his arms and it passes his arms pass through him. But with Dido, he's not even able to talk to her. She mm -hmm. doesn't say a word to him, but there's that, he's able to kind of see her from a distance. And there's that, I mean, I, I am always amazed by people who read the Aeneid and think, uh, oh, Aeneas is good old pious Aeneas is just doing the right <laughs> thing. And dumb old Dido set or like I think like I, if you read that and you don't feel Aeneas's like grief and guilt I mean like if if you read Aeneas as not guilty in that like it's such a wrenching story uh it was actually Josie my daughter who's reading all these ridiculous Percy Jackson books she oh, reframed yeah. that for me in a way that I had never thought about because I've always thought of that being the section that's most um that that is that feels least borrowed from homer that mm -hmm. like that almost every scene in the aeneid you can feel as like is superimposed on a scene from the Iliad yeah, or the yeah. odyssey but the right. the the story with dido it's so moving and and doesn't feel quite like it has its parallel in homer but then josie was talking about these dumb percy jackson books and it occurred to me that that actually the, the parallel may be uh calypso oh um, that if you were to look okay. at it from rather, you know, like we're, the difference is that we so much experience that from Odysseus' perspective that we don't think about like, well, she falls in love with him, and yeah, she, yeah. and then he just he leaves her, mm. uh, and and in Dido's case, she's a mortal, and so it's it's a and she also has forsworn herself, and so it's I just find that to be like a really beautiful and tragic story, and and I know like especially the Christians I know. Say like, oh, pious Aeneas, he was good. He's doing the, his duty. He's he is in the right. And I just think the like, Christians, God, you know. fuck. Well, yeah, well, I think there's I think there's a strong relationship between Virgil and Christianity, both because of the the weird reading of the fourth eclogue, oh, yeah. and because I think, and and obviously because of the Divine Comedy. But but yeah, like yeah. I, the 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 like, there's a a. I was surprised to learn by way of David Kern, who is now orth, you know, Orthodox, but who I talked to about that weird movie. He is part of a group of extremely well 
extremely like learned uh, Protestant classicists. I had always I didn't I did not realize that Protestants were that bookish. But I know a lot of Catholics are, are very into the classics, and I think in those crowds the reading of Virgil is as like pure virtue. And I just okay. think like I'm sorry, not Virgil uh, of Aeneas. Um, is oh, like, is pious Aeneas, pure virtue. Wait, among Catholics or Protestants? I think. Well, I I, I, I imagine both actually. Okay. Um, but I I I, uh, I just love that. I love and am like torn and moved by by that whole se section with Dido. So that's what I thought of here. But it also uh, makes perfect sense not being. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? I think I think um, I am. It is strange actually reading this and hearing that it's his father, because that. You turn to speak with someone standing deeper in the shade. This half-puzzled, awkward surprise is yours. You cannot hear me or quite make me out. Formalities preserve us. Perhaps I too am a, am a shade. I think some of that awkwardness and the feeling of... Like, with a former lover, there is there's something more pointed and and painful about seeing her turn her attention to someone else because because you have because there's yeah, like there's a monogamy sure, right i mean like there's principle. yeah like like there's a zero sum quality to sexual love that that isn't it's not quite the same with a parent so it is actually strange but okay yeah so i don't i'm not you i'm pretty sure you, this happened in america but like there's as we go back into the 20th century into generations of sort of parenthood the disconnection in terms of like affection between let's say fathers and sons grows more like uh more certain in that in older generations fathers are more less likely to show affection for their sons or children or do you, is that true in oh no no the, that's to that's totally true and i i mean i certainly have that's what i think about Oh yeah, no. I, I mean, and and I, you know, uh, like my 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 parent, my grandfathers were were much harder and more old old fashioned than than my dad is. But but even so, yeah, there's a, there's like a, there's a certain stiffness. But yeah, I think I guess I just maybe I, I was I I imposed a different reading on it so much that it's hard for me to unsee that now. But it does feel. Yeah, there's something. It's it's odd. It's surprising actually to reread this, thinking of it as a as a father, because mm. it the the there is. I mean, there is an awkwardness and there is a stiffness and difficulty and a and a failure of communication between sons and fathers. But it feels mm. like it has a different texture to it. Maybe. Um, I I can I am slightly confused by that. You turn to speak with someone else. I don't quite understand how that someone else plays into the equation. I like formalities preserved as I can see. I mean, this reminds me a bit of, sort of the English cliche about stiff upper lip. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amer Americans piss me off when they talk about like English cliches. Like, <laughs> I think I, I think I actually in an in an episode that I was just editing but have not yet released. I think I specifically referred to the English stiff upper lip cliche. <laughs> so please, <laughs> please, please, because we I read um, the Roger Kipling poem if and talk about that. But yeah, to, um, oh, uh, to, yeah. So but no, but but elaborate, elaborate. Well, I mean, I like there's just a certain like, I don't know. I think it's kind of a cliche to believe that Americans believe in this cliche, but like there's a certain pool of cliches that Americans come up with surrounding English 
like the very typical stereo stereotypical one like about tea which is weird because i fucking hate tea i hate coffee as well but i i i, I dislike that oh but, but tea is like i don't i don't think of that as like you know those english people they love tea <laughs> i just think of like tea is a english custom okay like that's a like Fair like enough. you you offer someone tea when they come into your house you yeah. tea is like a meal in England <laughs> it's like, it is in the north in the north oh, okay it's so in northern England yeah mm -hmm. but like that to me that's I don't think of like like there's sweet like in the south in the U, in the U S they there's sweet tea is a standard drink and like I fucking yeah. I've never oh, had no, it no, I don't I know it. yeah but but, but like America, it's a sure but, like, but it's a but like yeah I see tea is not a I don't think of that as being mm -hmm. a like a quirk of the English, like Marmite is an English quirk. Marmite is like you have to have grown up eating Marmite to like Marmite, just like you probably have to have grown up eating grits to like grits, which I do, despite their total lack of nutritional value. Remind me what remind me what grits are. They, they are ground. They're basically it's basically a certain type of cornmeal, but it's it's okay. of just the texture is just so. Okay. Like you you can have it yeah different you know like. In the South, we eat corn like fifty different ways, and like including bourbon. But but like it's it has to be just just so. And like yeah, part yeah. of the reason I think people say they don't like grits is that it's very easy to fuck up. Mm, um, okay. Uh, but yeah, like I, I also think like I could probably find very good grits and serve them to you, and you'd say like this is baby food or like this is <laughs> just like corn. Like what am I doing? What is this? <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, so like I don't think I don't think it's a question of the English palate, but yeah, mm -hmm. I mean there are I don't know like there are. I, I also feel like, like, all like all English people are like posh and have like the Queen's accent. Damn, oh well, that's that's like a very I mean I think I think that's, that's like a cliche to believe that people know about the cliche, but like you know yeah yeah that that like that's a I I, I think that's on the wane that <laughs> belief, but but yeah like I mean that certainly has been. That, I feel like when I was a kid, that was more in in mm. effect. But yeah, I think there are. I mean, but also partly like you, uh, there's a greater variety of accents in English media like now than yeah, uh, than yeah, there was yeah. you know we had a conversation thirty years yeah. ago. Yeah, we talked about yeah. this before. But mm. yeah, I mean, like there, but there are certain, like yeah, this is English stiff upper lip. Uh, I think we also have a. I mean, I have a um, an envy of the British tolerance for frumpiness i feel like there's a okay. that like we are very we are very vain and juvenile in the u.s mm. about like anybody in public life needing to have a certain kind of manicured appearance i mean i think like the republican party is maybe the exception to this <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like there's a there we are we are very uh, image obsessed in a way that i think the english seem to take a certain pride in rejecting um yeah but I also think that's on the way. Oh, so y'all are becoming corrupted by us now? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, um, yeah no, but, but also like there, I don't know, there are like plenty of weird, like isn't that part of the fun of having like be other countries that you're not, that you have like friendly relations with is that you can yeah. you can make fun of their characteristics? Uh -huh. um, yeah, I yeah. loved in the um, the it's a I think it's been made into a mediocre movie now, but I I, I were listening to a book on tape about a the uh, English intelligence services plot to trick the Germans into anticipating the wrong beat like the wrong front on uh, uh, on D Day like to like to go oh, to okay. Sicily th to they, yeah, yeah. to trick the Germans into thinking it was coming from Sicily and the the way they did it is they 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 left a 
a dead British body in uniform with a with a note in code, but they they had to like make it basically like legible to the Germans and <laughs> and the the note that I loved about it was like it, it was a fine you know like pop non you know pop history book but the the thing I loved about it was that the British agents who were writing the note uh, they said like they they wrote a note that was like a a funny charming note that a British friend would write to another British friend, but then they were like, well, the the Germans are so cheesy. They don't get our sense of view. Like we need to make this cheesier so that, so it'll feel natural to them. Like they, cause they have, they have such a, uh, a, a like a yeah. ham fisted sense of humor. Y'all certainly have those for us. Don't you? What are your, oh, what are your, yeah. um, what are your favorite American stereotypes? Uh, I mean, I, we probably see you as like annoying tourists, right? Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. 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 Bad at geography. Um, That's true. We are bad yeah. at geography. Um, I don't think we have like any of the prevalent though. It's like the US have uh, none of sort of incredibly clear cut. We just have sort of the Cow idea. The cowboy Americans, thing, like, guns. Yeah, and like very hot headed. Oh, but yeah, but then you're yeah. sort, of, you're sort of in going into sort of vague, polit badly made political satire on the sort of right. the gun thing, right? Over yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we all maybe, have maybe guns. We're ignorant. Yeah. Yeah, hot-headed, yeah. Fat, usually, as part fat, of it. Yeah. Fat, yeah, yeah, fat. I forgot about fat. fat is, yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing is, like, Americans love stereotypes about Americans, too. Mm. Like, we, like, like, and most of those, we will, we will laugh. Like, one of our favorite, like, especially among, like, liberals. I think, like, one of liberals' favorite jokes is to, is to ventriloquize the jokes that people in other countries make about our country. That's a that's a regular vein of comedy that's that's uh, mined here. I don't know, Matthew. Maybe I'm just being maybe I'm just being incorrigible with the thing. I've I've been really I don't know. I've been really incorrigible like incorrigible week. I was reading about um you know Joseph, you know Joseph Brodsky the um yes the Russian immigrant poet. Mm -hmm. I was reading something today how he he was so when he was in Russia in the sixties and he was all under the tutelage of um Anna Anna Akhmatova mm. and he and he she sent him on a dinner party to one of her friends who's like an academic who knows a lot about um alexander bloke and is it bloke or bloke i can't i've never um, heard anyone living pronounce his name so i no, don't me either. No, the symbolist poet and he walks into this academic who's like spent years writing about bloke and halfway through like a minute into their conversation he goes i think bloke is rubbish i don't think i think he's a <laughs> terrible poet it's bad <laughs> like the academic hands it really well but apparently you can hear like Apparently, someone else said that, like across the house, you could hear something being smashed, or like something, <laughs> someone dropping something. <laughs> I, I, I've been kind of been doing Nick with him about like online workshops. I, like someone on uh, an online workshop, a bit like a racist fair, but on the poetry free for all, posted a thread about um, Ada Lemon being made the new is it Ada Lemon. Like, uh, Ada I Lemon don't, yeah. made the new I think Lemon, but yeah. And I commented something on along the lines of, I don't think many poet laureates are good, and I think Lamone's pretty mediocre. And some people came back and were like, well, these poets, like, Karen Duffy, Ted Hughes, Robert Hash. And <laughs> the next, like, half an hour dismantling all the poets <laughs> they've given. <laughs> and it just ended. The thread is currently at a point where I said something. Like, I had to admit that, like, Ted Hughes is, like, I think Crow is a brilliant book. And like I should read more Hughes, but I don't think he's a massively good poet outside of Crow. 
with a few exceptions. But we go on to like Robert Hass, and I said something along, line, along the lines of, I think Hass can be quite dated, but is probably a strong minor poet. And then I said something along, and like I said, if you're a strong minor poet, that's a pretty very high like position to reach. Yeah. If, if, Someone came back to me and posted like a half poem and went, Is anything about is anything about this poem minor? <laughs> really <laughs> upset. Oh no. Oh, I have to go back and tell like explain some what I mean by like minor poets and how that's actually a compliment really. <laughs> just 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 post the entirety of Elliot's essay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could. I could. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I well, I I hope you enjoy poetry free for all for the, because you're because you're I hope you've gotten plenty out of it because you're about to get kicked off of it is what it sounds like to me. <laughs> is it okay, if, I'm, if I'm, in a, in a nutshell is there a significant difference between that and eratosphere or like a significant um, appeal that's to one rather than the other? I'm on a way to more. I okay. I when I was sixteen, I and I was introduced to poetry workshops the first workshop I posted on was Poetry Free For All. Mm. And it taught me how to be incredibly, like an incredibly harsh critic and <laughs> to like rip my own poems apart because uh, that's yeah. what people did there. And okay. the rules were such that you couldn't get up. If like you attacked or even argued with someone critiquing your poem, you would be told off and eventually right. banned. So you basically had to take everything anyone said about it within reason. So, and then I moved to a rater sphere because Poetry Free For All was like a ghost town. Like there's five or six people posting there. Oh, okay. And a rater sphere. I mean, a rater, they, they have loads of threads about how they're not as active as they were in the old days, which I think is very true, I'm sure. sure. I mean, there are much more people in a rater sphere. But compared to Poetry Free For All, a rater sphere is like overpopulated. They make Poetry Free For All look like, well, Poetry Free For All makes a rater sphere look like a, like a hub of activity. Yeah. So I went to a writer's sphere because it was I wanted I wanted to I wanted to write metrical poems. I wanted to be around more skilled poets. A writer's sphere right. is a much higher level of very skilled poets compared to poetry yeah, free yeah, yeah. So I don't really post. The only thing I do on poetry free for is Narpo, really. You know, apart from that, not really. So mm -hmm. maybe it's good that I'm destroying all ties with the website now. You can be harsh about other people's poems, but not about uh, not about poets laureate, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's the it's yeah. Lay off Adel Moon. Lay off. Lay off Caroline Duffy. Robert Hass. Robert Hass. Yeah. There's nothing minor about Robert Hass. <laughs> that's. I mean, like that's in in a. Uh, <laughs> In, I don't know, like in an online battle, like there's nothing minor about, is there anything minor about this? Is it just like such a softball? It's just like, just yeah. begging, just begging for contact. <laughs> yeah, it's just begging for me to like rip the poem apart and say like, well, look, but like, I, oh, <laughs> am I a nice person? No, but do I really want to go that far? I don't know, I can't be bothered, you know? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, let them, let them, let them, let them have Robert Haas. Yeah, yeah let them, yeah. Uh, all right, well, re read it, read Pisgah's for it. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Pisgah by Jeffrey Hill. I am ashamed and grieved, having seen you then those many times, as now you turn to speak with someone standing deeper in the shade, or fork a row, or pace to the top end where the steep garden overlooks the house. Around you, the cane, logiers, tent poles, trellises, 
The flitter of sweet peas caught in their strings. The scarlet runners blossomed that seemed to burn an incandescent aura towards evening. This half-puzzled, awkward surprise is yours. You cannot hear me or quite make me out. Formalities preserve us. Perhaps I too am a shade. Just on, on like the very dumbest structural level, this poem also does something that, I mean, it's something I use as something so effective and you just see in so many poems that, that manage to draw blood that it, it deals with a specific relationship and it speaks in, in fairly broad abstract terms. And then we get this really specific, really concrete scenic description. And we're, we have, oh, Jeffrey we, Hill is like famed with him, like scenic. Right. Like he has, well, right, right, but, like but the then best scenic describer yeah. I've ever read. But then specifically, like we like we get this uh, fork row or paste to the top end where the steep garden overlooks the house. Around you, the cane loges, tent poles, trellises, the flitter of sweet peas caught in their strings, the scarlet runners blossom that seem to burn an incandescent aura towards evening. So he he, he freights the poem that you know we've just been told I am ashamed and grieve, and then the, there's this you that we're looking toward. And then we get that freight of all of this physical, tangible landscape, this stuff. And then we turn and having been in a way like softened up by having like crunched through all of this specific physical description, that's very tangible and fairly objective. And then we were returned to the emotional and the, and the intangible, but it's, but it, it matters more to us. It feels it has, it, it has more force because it's been mm. given the mass of that physical description, yeah, uh, yeah. which is yeah, yeah exactly. just some. It's like just on a very simple, dumb level. If you want to look at like lyric structure, you know that if the whole poem, if you took out that physical description, not that like it's totally clear what all of those particular tangible details do to affect a line like "you cannot hear me" or "quite make me out." Like, could they be slightly different physical details? Maybe so. But like, if you took out that section of description, the poem would be so much more flaccid. Yeah. Um, yeah and just yeah. having it there as a kind of a ballast, if nothing, you know, like, they think there's a lot more you could say about it, but like, it's just such a, it's such a basic building block of lyric poetry that I, mm -hmm. I for some reason, don't hear people identify enough. Um, like, even in like, good, bad, and mediocre poems. Like it, it, a poem that tends to have a little bit of a, a punch to it will very seldom will you see one get pulled off that doesn't have some kind of ballast like that in it. Mm -hmm. um, like ideas around things. Oh, ideas like, around things. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, all right. Yeah. It's, like, it's funny because around has gotten to be used in the last few years the way people previously used the word about. Oh, um, okay. No, like a, well, I mean, historically, right. about and around have flipped back and forth in their physical mm -hmm. meaning. But like as a preposition, people now you like the the more hoity-toity way to say I wanted to talk about some things is I wanted to talk around this concept. So I think like then it's, it becomes confusing again. <laughs> oh, Matthew, you give me such an education in how sort of the higher cultures liberals speak. I need, to, oh, I need to write all this shit down. Thank you all for listening. You can reach me as always at sleerickets at gmail.com. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you all again very soon.
Until then. 